0: Chapter One of Ronicky Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Rowdy Delaney, Idaho, USA. Ronicky Doone by Max Brand. Chapter One. A HORSE IN NEED He came into town as a solid, swiftly moving dust-cloud. The wind from behind had kept the dust moving forward at a pace just equal to the gallop of his horse. Not until he had brought his mount to a halt in front of the hotel and swung down to the ground did either he or his horse become distinctly visible. Then it was seen that the animal was in the last stages of exhaustion, with dull eyes and hanging head, and forelegs braced wide apart, while the sweat dripped steadily from his flanks into the white dust on the street. Plainly he had been pushed to the last limit of his strength. The rider was almost as far spent as his mount, for he went up the steps of the hotel with his shoulders sagging with weariness, a wide-shouldered, gaunt-ribbed man. Thick layers of dust had turned his red kerchief and blue shirt into common gray. Dust, too, made a mask of his face, and through the mask the eyes peered out, surrounded by pink skin. Even at its best the long, solemn face could never have been called handsome. But on this particular day he seemed a haunted man, or one fleeing from inescapable danger. The two loungers at the front door of the hotel instinctively stepped aside, and made room for him to pass, but apparently he had no desire to enter the building. Suddenly he became doubly imposing, as he stood on the veranda, and stared up and down at the idlers. Certainly his throat must be thick and hot with dust, but an overmastering purpose made him oblivious of thirst. "'Gents,' he said huskily, while the wind fanned a cloud of dust from his clothes, "'is there anybody in this town can give me a hoss?' to get to stillwater inside of three hours riding he waited a moment his hungry eyes traveling eagerly from face to face naturally the oldest man spoke first since this was a matter of life and death any hoss in town can get you there in that time if you know the short way across the mountain how do you take it that's the way for me but the old fellow shook his head and smiled in pity not if you ain't rode it before i used to go up that way when i was a kid but nowadays nobody rides that way except Dune. The trail is tricky as the ways of a coyote. You'd sure get lost without a guide. The stranger turned and followed the gesture of the speaker. The mountain rose from the very verge of the town, a ragged mass of sand and rock, with miserable sagebrush clinging here and there, as dull and uninteresting as the dust itself. Then he lowered the hand from beneath which he had peered, and faced about with a sigh. "'I guess it ain't much good tryin' that way. "'But I still got to get to Stillwater inside of three hours. "'They's one hoss in town can get you there,' said the old man. "'But you can't get that hoss today." "'The stranger groaned. "'Then I'll make another hoss stretch out and do. "'Can't be done. "'Dune's hoss is a marvel. "'Nothing else about here can touch him, "'and he's the only one can make the trip around the mountain "'inside three hours.' You'd kill another hoss trying to do it, what with your weight. The stranger groaned again and struck his knuckles against his forehead. But why can't I get the hoss? Is Doone out of town with it? The hoss ain't out of town, but Doone is. The traveler clenched his fists. The delay and the waste of precious time was maddening him. Gents, he called desperately. I got to get to Martindale today. It's more than life and death to me. "'Where's Doone's hoss?' "'Right across the road,' said the old man who had spoken first. "'Over yonder in the corral, the bay.' The traveller turned and saw, beyond the road, a beautiful mare, not very tall, but a mare whose every inch of her fifteen-three proclaimed strength and speed. At that moment she raised her head and looked across to him, and the heart of the rider jumped into his throat. The sight of her was an omen of victory.' and he made a long stride in her direction. But the two men came before him. The old man jumped from the chair and tapped his arm. You ain't gonna take the bay without gettin' leave from Dune. Gents, I got to, said the stranger. Listen, my name's Greg, Bill Gregg. Up in my country they know I'm straight. Down here you ain't heard of me. I ain't gonna keep the horse, and I'll pay a hundred dollars for the use of her for one day. I'll bring, or send her back safe and sound, tomorrow. Here's the money. One of you gents, that's a friend of Dune, take it for him. Not a hand was stretched out. Every head shook in negation. I'm too fond of the little life left to me, said the old man. I won't rent out the hoss for him. Why, he loves that mare like she was his sister. He'd fight like a flash rather than see another man ride her. But Bill Gregg had his eyes on the bay and the sight of her was stealing his reason. He knew, as well as he knew that he was a man, that once, in the saddle on her, he would be sure to win. Nothing could stop him. And straight through the restraining circle he broke with a groan of anxiety. Only the old man who had been the spokesman called after him. "'Greg, don't be a fool. Maybe you don't recognize the name Dune, but the whole name is Ronicky Dune. Does that mean anything to you?' Into the back of Greg's mind came several faint memories, but they were obscure and uncertain. "'Blast your ronicky Doone," he replied. "'I got to have that hoss, and if none of you'll take the money for her rent, I'll take her free, and pay the rent when I come back through this way tomorrow, maybe. So long.' While he spoke he had been undoing the cinches of his own horse. Now he whipped the saddle and bridle off, shouted to the hotel-keeper brief instructions, for care of the weary animal, and ran across the road with the saddle on his arm. In the corral he had no difficulty with the mare. She came straight to him in spite of all the flopping trappings. With prickly ears and eyes lighted with kindly curiosity she looked the dusty fellow over. He slipped the bridle over her head. When he swung the saddle over her back she merely turned her head and carelessly watched it fall and when he drew up the cinches hard, she only stamped in mock anger. The moment he was in the saddle, she tossed her head eagerly, ready to be off. He looked across the street to the veranda of the hotel as he passed through the gate of the corral. The men were standing in a long and awe-stricken line, their eyes wide, their mouths agape. Whoever Ronicky Doone might be, he was certainly a man who had won the respect of this town. The men on the veranda looked at Bill Gregg, as though he were already a ghost. He waved his hand defiantly at them, and the mare, at a word from him, sprang into a long, striding gallop that whirled them rapidly down the street and out of the village. The bay carried him with amazing speed over the ground. They rounded the base of the big mountain, and, glancing up at the ragged canyons which chopped the face of the peak, he was glad that he had not attempted that shortcut. If Ronicky Doone could make that trail, he was a skillful horseman. Bill Gregg swung up over the left shoulder of the mountain, and found himself looking down on the wide plain which held Stillwater. The air was crystal clear and dry. The shoulder of the mountain was high above it. Gregg saw a breathless stretch of cattle country at one sweep of his eyes. Stillwater was still a long way off, and a far way across the plain he saw a tiny moving dot that grew smaller. It was the train heading for Stillwater, and that train must be beat to the station." For a moment his heart stood still. Then he saw the train was distant, indeed, and by the slightest use of the mare's speed he would be able to reach town two or three minutes ahead of it. But just as he was beginning to exult in the victory, after all the hard riding of the past three days, the mare tossed up her head and shortened her stride. The heart of Greg stopped, and he went cold. It was not only the fear that his journey might be ruined, but the fear that something had happened to this magnificent creature beneath him. He swung to the side in the saddle and watched her gallop. Certain she went laboring, very much as though she were trying to run against a mighty pull of the reins. He looked at her head. It was thrown high with pricking ears. Perhaps she was frightened by some foolish thing near the road. He touched her with his spurs, and she increased her pace to the old length and ease of stride. But, just as he began to be reassured, her step shortened and fell into laboring again, and this time she threw her head higher than before. It was amazing to Bill Gregg, and then it seemed to him that he heard a faint, far whistling floating down from above his head. Again, the thin, long-drawn sound, and this time, glancing over his right shoulder, he saw a horseman plunging down the slope of the mountain. He knew instantly that it was Ronicky Doone. The man had come to recapture his horse and had taken the short cut across the mountain to come up with her. Just by a fraction of a minute, Doone would be too late, for by the time he came down the trail, the bay would be well ahead, and certainly no horse lived in these mountains capable of overtaking her when she felt like running. Gregg touched her again with his spurs, but this time she reared straight up and, whirling to the side, faced steadily toward her onrushing master. End of chapter one.